Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? This is the word of the Lord. Kamani Maruge was born in Kenya in 1920. He was the oldest of seven children. And so he never had the opportunity to go to school, to learn to read and to write. 
No, he was needed to work hard to try to help feed the others. The family was very poor, and it was certainly a great struggle. When he was 30 years old, though, he joined in a revolution to overthrow the British government and to get rid of colonial rule over Kenya. He saw so much killing and suffering. He saw so many struggles. It really had an impact on him. After the war, it turned out that he wound up uh, getting married. He had a family. He worked hard, had a good life. But then in 2003, when he was 83 years old, the Kenyan government passed a law that said they were going to provide free schooling for all primary age children from first through the eighth grade, education would be free. Now that was huge because there were so many children who wanted to go to school who couldn't go to school because they certainly couldn't afford it. And now suddenly the government said, we are going to provide education from first through eighth grade. Well, it was in 2004 when they finally began. Kamani was 84 years old. He took his two grandchildren to school, and he went too. He wanted to start the first grade. And the teacher said, you can't come to school. You're 84 years old. You cannot come to school. He went home. He came back the next day. You cannot come to school. Kamani thought, maybe it's because I'm not dressing like the other children. So he went home and he got some socks that came up to his knee. He got his shorts. He got his blue shirt just to look like all the other kids in uniform. And the next day he came dressing like all the other kids. And the teacher said, you can't come to school. He went home. On the fourth day he came. You can't come to school. He went home. On the fifth day, he came to school. And the teacher was so impressed by this tenacity that the teacher said, all right, you can come to school. So 84 years old, Kamani started in the first grade, wanting to learn to read and to write. Now, not everybody was excited about him coming to school. I mean, there were many other adults who started saying, why do you want to learn to read and write at 84 years old? You're an old man. Our classes are already crowded. You're taking up space. When he walked home, there were some who cursed him. There were others who threw rocks at him. He kept coming to school. The teacher said he was always so respectful. He was always on time. He always had his assignments done. No, they were very impressed with Kamani. He worked so hard, and the children loved him. He got along so well with the children, they loved him. In fact, the next year, the children voted Kamani to be number one boy in the school. <laughs> when he had completed that first year, there were organizations that were trying to inspire governments around the world, fund education for your children. They had heard Kamani's story. And so they came to him and they put him on a plane and they flew him to New York to speak to the UN. Kamani had never been on a plane. He'd never been to New York. He'd never been outside his country. And here he was standing up in the UN addressing world leaders and saying, you are never too young. You are never too old to start learning. It's an opportunity to stretch and to grow. He came back home and continued his education. He was 87 years old 
when the British government had learned about him and said they wanted to make a movie about him. Even though he'd been in the revolt to overthrow British rule there in Kenya, they made a movie about his life entitled The First Grader. And he was interviewed and they asked him, why at this age do you want to learn to read? And Kamani said, my children and my grandchildren, they write me letters. I want to read them. I want to know what my government is saying. I want to learn how to read and I want to understand numbers because through the years in business, I feel people have cheated me because they knew I didn't know how to read. But most of all, he said, I want to learn how to read so I can read my Bible. Kamani had gone to church all his life. But all his life, he had had to depend on other people telling him what the Bible said. He wanted to read God's Word in order to hear for himself what was God saying to him. So he learned to read. At 89 years old, he wound up being baptized at the Holy Trinity Catholic Church. And it was at 89 years old, he also developed stomach cancer. And it was at 89 years old that Kamani passed away. He graduated the fifth grade. As I was going back and looking at his life and doing research, what I found was he left an incredible legacy. Because after Kamani, there was such an inspiration. There were so many people in this nation who all started going back to school. People who were 70, 80, and 90 years old entering the first grade because they wanted to learn how to read. And as I was reading their little quotes, each of them kind of, why were you doing it? What did you do? You know, one man who was in his 80s said, I got tired of just sitting in the house waiting for my grandchildren to bring me three meals a day. I wanted to learn how to read. And I've loved it. The hardest thing is getting up early enough to catch the school bus. But almost all of them said, I want to learn how to read so I can read God's Word. And I thought, it's what it's about to be learning, growing, stretching our minds, being open to hear God speak. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Finding the Way. Right now, you and I, as a family of faith in this church, we're in this church-wide Bible study in the book of John, reading a chapter a week. And the whole idea is we're trying to look at John and see what is John saying? How is God going to help us find the way to stretch our minds, to help us think and to grow and to learn so that we can become the people that we were born to be? This morning, we're now to the third chapter. And, of course, the very first story in the third chapter is the story of Nicodemus, our scripture lesson. It's a wonderful story about a man who was a Pharisee. That means he was a lawyer. Nicodemus was a faithful man. Please never hear and think Nicodemus was a bad person. He was a man of faith. He tried to follow the traditions of the law the best he could. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, which meant he probably was wealthy, successful, influential, But everybody was talking about Jesus. 
And he wanted to know more about Jesus. Something more he could learn and maybe grow. And so it says he comes to Jesus at night. He comes at Jesus at night because he doesn't want all the other fellow members of the Sanhedrin to know that he is there. But he wants to learn. Now, whenever you read the book of John, you always know there's a statement that is about fact, but there's always another statement that 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 same statement always has a symbolic meaning. And what we see is him coming to Jesus at night. That's the dark. Nicodemus is in the dark. He doesn't fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what God is asking him to do. So he comes in the night. It's in the dark. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God because no one can do all the signs you do and not be from God. Nicodemus is paying attention. He wants to know more. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is born anothen, unless one is born anothen, the Greek word anothen means again, which is what you and I typically read, unless you are born again. But it also means from above. Unless you are born from above. It also means anew. Unless you are born anew. So all of these meanings are wrapped up in this one sentence to Nicodemus. And you and I miss that. There's no one word in the English language that covers all that. So we always have it translated, you must be born again. And it'll have a footnote from above, anew. We need to hear this statement to Nicodemus maybe a little differently than the way it usually is used. You must be born from above again and again and again. This is really talking about salvation. People will ask you, have you been born again? Right now on Wednesday Night Alive, Reverend Wendy Lambert and I are teaching a course on salvation. And we decided it'd be fun. We could come up with eight weeks all about salvation because when you start looking at salvation, well, salvation, it means this and it means this. And you got to look at this. You got to look at that. Whenever someone talks about salvation, we usually think it means what happens at the end of your life. But I believe salvation is much more than what happens at the end of your life. What we read is, you must be born from above again and again to see the kingdom of God. This is the only place in John where Jesus uses that term, the kingdom of God. And what he's talking about here is the kingdom of God here on earth now, what you see. It's not about the everlasting life, what do you see now? Salvation is not just about the end, it's about life now. Are you being born from above? The spirit that blows where it wills, you do not see the wind where it comes from nor where it goes, and the spirit moves as it wills. Are you born from the spirit Again and again and again to be learning and growing. How often you and I think about, have you been born again? It means, when were you saved? Those are the words that get used. 
and you're supposed to come up with an exact date. March 20th, 1966, I accepted Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know for some people like myself, I was born and raised in a family to where I heard about Jesus from the time I was one year old. I don't ever remember a time in my life not knowing about Jesus, not feeling like I knew Jesus. And so for me, it isn't just at one moment. There are many holy moments through my life. I remember at First Methodist Church in Houston, standing at the altar, getting a third grade Bible. That was a holy moment. I remember standing there for confirmation uh, when I was 12 years old. It was a holy moment. I remember standing there and being ordained as a Methodist pastor. It was a holy moment. You, know, you have many of these holy moments throughout your life. You are born from above anew, again and again. Salvation now, the kingdom of God, and forever. To be in that means we're about growing and learning and being open. You know, yesterday I, I was watching the news and I, I was seeing all the reporting about the women's marches across our country. More than 350 marches, it said, as women were wanting to talk about women's rights and violence against women, important issues. And as I was listening to all of this going on, I, I got to thinking, you know, it was a hundred years ago, 1919, our Congress was debating whether women should have the right to vote. And in 1918, our Congress voted, no. Women shouldn't have the right to vote. It was finally in 1919 that it was voted, well, all right, we'll give them the right to vote. And then it took time for ratification. It's not till August of 1920 that the 19th Amendment of the Constitution was finally passed and said women have the right to vote. Now, a hundred years after this happens, we all look back and think, are you kidding? How could there have been a time when we didn't think women should have the right to vote? We have been growing and learning, and yet there are still struggles to address. I got to thinking how is 150, a little over 150 years ago, the bloodiest war in American history was coming to an end. The Civil War. More people died in the Civil War than any other war we've ever fought. And that war was fought because we had to decide, is it right for a white person to own a black person? Really? 150 years later, we look back and think, how could we have ever thought that? We have been growing and learning, and yet there are still struggles in civil rights. And you know, then I got to thinking, a hundred years from now, a hundred and fifty years from now, I wonder what people are going to look back and look at us on the issues we face today and say, how could you have thought that? Have we been learning and growing? Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, in the dark. Go right back to the beginning, John 1, verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Nicodemus comes in the dark to the light so that he can find the way forward to be the person he was born to be. So how do we do that? I just have two thoughts I want to share this morning. First of all, I really believe that when you and I are living in a spirit of compassion and a spirit of love, you tend to hear God speak. You start to see God moving in your life. It's when you and I, regardless of our circumstances, whether they're good or difficult, when we are living with love and compassion, you start seeing the way God is moving in your life. Now, you know, I'm a sports fan. I love sports of all kinds. I certainly love football. And these last few weeks, I've certainly enjoyed the NFL playoffs. There have been some great games. They didn't always come out the way I wanted, but there have been some great games. And if you were watching them last week, you know the Kansas City Chiefs were playing. And I'm cheering this year for the Kansas City Chiefs, thinking they're an exciting team. And if you watched, you remember last week, there was a horrible snowstorm in Kansas City. I mean, it was cold. It was snowing. The wind was blowing. You saw people coming to the stadium and they're shoveling out the aisles, trying to clear off the seats. And people are coming and they're all bundled up because it is freezing outside and they're in the snow. And it made me think, you know, it's just like how people do for church when it's snowing. Kinda. So, so, I mean, they're getting out their narrow head and they're shoveling and they're bundled up and well, it's tough driving getting there. You may have seen the story about a man named Jim Allen. He happens to be the starting guard on the offensive line. He and his wife are on the way to the stadium. They have a lovely BMW, but he's driving along in his heavy snow and he slides off the road and into a snowbank. And he is stuck. He cannot get out. And there aren't people to be calling on for help. I mean, he is stuck. And now he is in the car and he's starting to panic. I mean, am I going to get to the stadium? Here I'm the starting guard um, for the offensive line and I'm not going to wind up making it to, the, to uh, the game. And while he is there and starting to panic, this suburban pulls up. And this guy gets out and introduces himself. His name is Dave, and he's got a rope, and he ties it onto the BMW, and he starts pulling it, and they manage to get it out of the snow and back onto the road. And Jim is very grateful. He says, I'm Jim. I'm Dave. Thanks so much. And he is out of there. Well, he goes to the game. He plays, as you know, and the Kansas City Chiefs win. And when it was over, Jim went on social media and, and started saying, you know, today I was stuck in a snowbank. I didn't know if I was going to make it. A guy named Dave helped pull me out of the snowbank. I did not have the time to properly thank him. I want to do that. I'd like to give him two tickets to next week's playoff game. Can anybody help me find Dave? He said, you'd be amazed how many people are named Dave in Kansas City who must have been helping pull somebody out of a snowbank. No. He finally found the right Dave. It was Dave Cochran. Dave did not know that Jim played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And what Jim did not know was that Dave was homeless. He was living in his suburban. Life was difficult. He and his dog, it was difficult. 
And, and so they started kind of talking a little more to, to learn about David. He was getting suddenly interviewed. This was a, a story. And what they found out, and they asked him, you know, why did you do that? And he said, well, I was coming along and I saw this car stuck in the snowbank and it had Texas license plates. And I knew they didn't know how to drive in the snow. He said, so I just really kind of felt bad for them, and so that's why I pulled over and helped pull them out. Yeah, I do that kind of stuff all the time. You, you're just supposed to help each other. Well, Kansas City, when they started hearing this, they're all kind of jumping on board and feeling good about Dave, and what a nice guy. And so there's an auto repair shop. They start replacing the windows that were busted out in a suburban, and they're fixing up the car, and someone else creates a GoFundMe page, and suddenly thousands of dollars are coming in. And then someone else looking into it learns that Dave has a criminal record for breaking in cars, stealing cars. He's been in jail. And they come and they ask him about it. And Dave immediately says, oh, absolutely. I made some bad decisions. I've really been trying to do better. I'm doing it different. And I just want to say to all those who have been so kind... I really want to make you proud. I'm going to do better. And I thought, I wonder if Dave will make it. I don't know. And then I thought, does Dave have the right to try? Absolutely. It was out of living in a spirit of compassion and love in the midst of a difficult time in his life that suddenly he's able to see opportunities and blessings. You know, we call this prevenient grace. It's simply the word that means God's grace that goes before us. The grace that goes before us when we don't even understand it and know about it yet, it helps us to find our way out of the darkness and into the light. That's the promise for everybody. And it's really what starts to happen. When you live in that spirit of compassion, kindness, love, I believe you'll start seeing that prevenient grace that is going before you where God wants to help you find your way to be the person you were created to be. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so secondly, it's important to understand that this spirit that blows where it wills, this spirit from above, is really God's gift to you. It's not something you and I earn. It's not something we deserve. This is God, His gift to you where God wants to lead you out of the darkness. It is a gift. The Spirit comes and you do not know where, he said. It is like the wind. It blows and you do not know where. It comes from above. So that you might be born from above, anew, again and again. For Nicodemus, we know that he was a good man. He was trying hard, the best that he knew, following the traditions of his faith. But he begins to see the things that Jesus is teaching and believes he is a man of God. And he comes to him in the dark, not understanding. And he begins having discussions with Jesus. And when he leaves that night, 
How has he changed? What does he do? We don't know. What we do know is if you're reading John chapter by chapter each week, you're going to get to chapter 7 and you're going to read about the Sanhedrin and how it makes the decision to try to get Jesus. And when the Sanhedrin is talking about Jesus, it suddenly says, and Nicodemus spoke up and said, in our tradition, isn't a man innocent until we hear him speak? Wow, he's speaking up in the midst of all the others to say, wait, wait, wait a minute, have you heard him speak? It's the second time we hear of Nicodemus. Third time you hear of Nicodemus? It's when he and Joseph of Arimathea are taking the body of Jesus off the cross. He is there to help Joseph of Arimathea take the body off the cross and Nicodemus has brought lots of very expensive spices to anoint the body for burial as they lay the body in Joseph's tomb. What a public statement. This is where I stand. This is what I believe. What an action of love. Nicodemus has obviously been born from above. Anew. Again. What does he do from there? I don't know. I would expect he would continue to learn and seek to grow in the ways that God shows him to be the person he was born to be. A couple of weeks ago, I was telling you about Susan Boyle. You know, I, I love her story. I, I love her story because it involves such a, uh, an evolution in a life, a growth in life. I, I told you how she is now on America's Got Talent, uh, the champions, and it's where they've gone and gathered all the best of the best who've won these kind of contests around the world, and they brought them together, and so she performed in the very beginning round, and she got what's called the golden buzzer. Each judge has one time that they can hit something, and it says that person jumps from where they are all the way to the finals, and she got the golden buzzer. She is now in the finals and be one of the last ten in order to compete um, for the winner. You know, her life has gone through such a change in these last ten years. You remember, it was in 2009 where she was on Britain's Got Talent, and that's when, when she performed, and they put it online, and in the end, in one week, more than a hundred million people saw it. Her life has never been the same. But it was always going through changes before then. I told you how she was born in this little town in Scotland. She had a problem when she was being born, oxygen deprivation to the brain. It caused some learning disability, a little hard for her, not quite just exactly right. She made it through school but was always picked on and bullied, ostracized. And she lived at home with her mom and dad, her eight brothers and sisters. They all got married and had children, were gone. She lived at home in the same house with her mom and dad where she had grown up. She loved to sing. She'd sing karaoke. She would sing at church. She had different jobs. And then in 1997, her father died. And all the family said, Susan, you're the only one who doesn't have responsibilities. Why don't you take care of mom? And so she took care of her mother for the next 10 years till 2007, and her mother died. That was a blow to her life. Because it was her mother who ever since she was a child would always tell her, Susan, there is a path for you. 
God is going to show you the way for you to become the person you were born to be. It may take a while, but you must trust. Together they would watch the show, Britain's Got Talent. And her mother used to say, you'd win that if you were in it. Well, in 2007, she dies and her support just crumbles. Susan begins to stay in the house. She doesn't go out. She doesn't sing for two years. She just stays in the house like a recluse. But she keeps hearing her mother's words. There's a path for you. And she starts feeling the presence of something beyond herself to give her the courage to try an audition. And so she goes and auditions for Britain's Got Talent. And as you know, it just blew the world away. So much so that before the end of the year, they had written a song for her. It's her song, Who I Was Born to Be. She cut an album by that name, and it sold six million copies in a week. It is the number one debut album of all time in England. Now, she began to perform. Things were happening in her life. In 2009, her birthday is April the 1st. In 2009, April the 1st, she was at home in her little hometown. There was no birthday cake, no candles, no presents, and no one to sing happy birthday. 2010, for April the 1st, she'd been invited to come to Japan and sing at their Cherry Blossom Festival. On April the 1st. And so she went to Japan. They were Susan crazy there. And so she goes to Japan. And she goes the day before to see the venue. And it's 9,000 seats. She's never sung to so many people. And there's going to be an 80-piece orchestra. And all those feelings. We all know. I can't do this. I'm not good enough for this. I, I, I will fail all those feelings come overwhelming. Her legs are shaking and she is sobbing back there with her manager. I can't do this. When the orchestra is practicing and warms up and they start to play the song, Who I Was Born to Be. When I was a child, I could see the wind in the trees and I heard a song in the breeze. It was there singing out my name. But I'm not a girl. I have known the taste of defeat, and I have finally grown to believe it will all come around again. And though I may not know the answers, I can finally say I'm free. And if the questions led me here, then I am who I was born to be. And so here I am, open arms and ready to stand. I've got the world in my hands, and it feels like my turn to fly. And though I may not know the answers, I can finally say I'm free. And if the questions led me here, then I am who I was born to be. Hearing the song, she began to feel that power from above. And she said to her manager, I'll do it. The next night she would come out on stage. Susan was known for wearing a red scarf. She came out on stage, and what she saw was 9,000 Japanese fans all wearing a red scarf. And she came out and she would sing, I dreamed a dream, and the person I was born to be, Amazing Grace, 
she would sing and it was a great concert. And when it came to the end, there was a Japanese interpreter talking to her and the audience and, and doing this. And then he just started talking to the audience and she didn't know what he was saying. And suddenly the orchestra fires up. It is April the 1st and they begin to play and all the people begin to sing. And it took her a second to realize they were singing happy birthday to you in Japanese. Nine, one year ago, she was at home with no one. And now her world had changed and 9,000 people were waving their red scarves singing happy birthday to you. And you know, for Susan, it really isn't about how much success or how much fame or how much money. For her, it really has become all about, am I the person I was born to be? And I love her statement about it. She said, one of the things that is most different about my life now is that I never know what is going to happen next. If my life was a wee bit monochrome before, now it is a rainbow of color and contrast. I've learned to embrace and relish that uncertainty instead of fearing it. I have no idea what the next chapter is going to be, but I do know that I'm looking forward to whatever the future holds. We don't know what the future holds, but we have been called to grow, to learn, to stretch, believing that God will help us to find the way. It is His gift. The wind blows. It comes from above. Again, anew. To be born from above, anew, it's God's gift. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is Christ who wants to show you the way out of the darkness into life. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.